the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you, boy. I'll tell you, it was a Pro-America day for me. I hope you had a great day and getting ready for a good weekend. Uh, It was a great Pro-America day for me. Quite spectacular. I previewed it last night for you all. I was telling you that on the stage today would be historically two things that had never happened. Two people that had never spoken at a a pro-life march in Washington, D.C., this massive pro-life march. One was, um, of course, President Trump. We'll talk about his comments in a few minutes. And also, I mentioned Melissa Oden, O-H-D-E-N, Oden, Melissa Oden, who is the first speaker at a pro-life march, who is a, what we, the term she uses is she has an abortion survivors network she survived an abortion in the late 1970s her mother was a young mother uh, unwed mother surprise pregnancy was taken into the hospital tried to have an abortion to get rid of the baby well the baby was melissa now melissa odin and she lived and she's this beautiful dark-haired woman she's a leader in the pro-life movement she she got up on the stage today and she spoke about how you know obviously she didn't remember it when she was 14 years old though she was told about what happened to her. This is Melissa Oden, and you can search her name, O-H-D-E-N. She's got a book uh, out that's called You Carried Me, a memoir, and she talks about her mother. But she's 14 years old, and she, she finally gets told the story about her mother, who had then put her up. To, after, after she was almost killed by the abortion, she was put up for adoption, and she was raised by loving parents, and her mother and father then explained to her when she's 14, and she went through this period in her life where she was searching and troubled and worried and, and sad and all, and, uh, and she reconciled with her mother. Uh, she came to grips with what happened. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how, what it feels like to be you know, 14 and realize you were supposed to be you know, killed out of existence? But she gives these talks, and she was up on the stage... I don't know, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people. It felt like it. People everywhere, every size, shape, age, color, you know, race, uh, background, religion from all across the country. Buses. I saw busloads of kids from Kentucky, from Iowa, from Nebraska, from Texas, from Louisiana, from Florida, one after another. Kids everywhere. Lots of kids, lots of older folks, lots of people. And Melissa Oden was up on the stage and she spoke. You could have heard a pin drop when she told her story and then she revealed a video and the video had about wow 12 or 15 faces it was a sort of two minute video and just had faces where people said i survived this it was an old gentleman with an accent i think he was european sounded like eastern european maybe a young kid like an eight-year-old kid i think she said his name was josh i'm not sure right now uh, melissa odin came by our offices uh, i of course you know i work for the phyllis schlafly eagles in our office we have an office up behind capitol hill anyway it was an extraordinary uh, day and melissa odin was a highlight extraordinary and uh, another highlight, by the way, was my daughter's uh, school held the banner, the very front banner of the March for Life. You'll see the iconic pictures of every March for Life. If you can find it in the newspaper, we'll, like, we'll talk about that later, too, how you see no coverage. 
uh, of this. No, at least you don't see any coverage like you would if you if you had 500 high school kids come to D.C. to talk about the environment and global warming. You'd have coverage from from uh, from noon till midnight. You have 500,000 people on the mall. I don't know if that's the right number. It's probably less than that. But you have 500,000, whatever number, thousands, tens of thousands. Uh, Nick Sandman, the guy from uh, uh, Covington High School, Covington Catholic, the kid that got you know kind of berated last year and made into a uh, was hit. It was a hit piece on him by CNN. He was there. I didn't see him, but he was there. I saw it on Twitter later. But uh, extraordinary, extraordinary gathering, extraordinary people, extraordinary energy. So we're gathered up by the front. I started to say where my daughter's high school, Oakcrest School, was holding the banner, the sort of iconic banner you'll see when you see a picture of it and a uh, picture of the march. And it was really cool, all these young girls, and, and there's a girl's school, and they're chanting, you know, we love babies, and uh, Roe v. Wade's got to go. And we're on Constitution Avenue in the nation's capital, right next to the Department of Justice building. And up on the balcony, three stories up, out comes a gentleman, and people look up and say, who is that? It was the Attorney General of the United States, Bill Barr. And he stood on the balcony, I'd say for 35 minutes, so we were waiting for the march to start. And people realized he was there, and they yelled out his name. He gave thumbs up. He waved at people. He smiled. I happen to know he's a uh, very uh, conservative, uh, strong. I, I shouldn't say I know. I, I just know he's a Catholic, and I know he's a Catholic of long standing. And I have some friends that know him and say he's a really, uh, really devout. He's, it means a lot to him. So there he was. He stayed there forever. And people kept coming and going and seeing him there, and they were waving. I mean, you think about this. The President of the United States came to the March for Life, got up on the stage, addressed the people. The Attorney General of the United States stands on a balcony at his office and looks down and, and waves to people for 35, 40 minutes. It was extraordinary. I mean, this is these are the main people. These are the two of the biggest uh, leaders you can possibly imagine, right, that they're there. And, and they're, they're, they're making time out of their day. They're coming to these. Now, look, there's, there is a... Um, Always a political overlay, right? There's always put it's 2020. Let's not uh, let's not be naive about it. But that still doesn't change. There's a lot of presidents that have been up for re-election. 2004 comes to mind. 1984 comes to mind. Uh, you know, 1992 comes to mind. None of those quote unquote pro-life presidents came and spoke at the March for Life. And if you haven't seen the text of the president's speech, you need to check it out. And I'll tell you, he used a phrase, and I know some of his speechwriters. He used a phrase, um, and I and I thought, yep, I know how that, I know where that came from. It's still, it's his words, but and that this is the phrase at the very end of his speech. He said, uh, "We cannot know what our citizens yet unborn will achieve, the dreams they will imagine, the masterpieces they will create." This is Donald Trump. They will create. This is Donald Trump at the march today. The discoveries they will make, but we know this: every life brings love into this world. Every child brings joy to a family. Every person is worth, prote- worth protecting. And here, this is it right here. This is, the, this is the money. This is the President of the United States in the presence, on the, on the mall. And above all, President Trump said, we know that every human soul is divine. And every human life, born and unborn, is made in the image, excuse me, is made in the holy image of Almighty God. Now, that's pretty unbelievable. That's a speech of the President of the United States. That's, I, I, I wouldn't have predicted it. I wouldn't have bet on it. I wouldn't have said it was possible that any president would do that. 
And and I, I did. I was for him early, and I'll mention that right now. Actually, I'll tell you something about that. But I was for Trump early. I thought I believed that he had become a pro-lifer after forty-five years, forty years of his life. He'd been pro-abortion. He said he said he was pro-choice, and I believed him four years ago when he said he was pro-life. And it turns out he's been a very pro-life president. So much so that in 2016, I served, volunteered to serve on the pro-life pro-life coalition for Trump for president. And just today, they announced that the 2020 version of that, and I'm on it again which is very nice of them. I, you know, nobody gets paid to do it, and it's more about articulating what you think is going to happen and should happen and has happened. So uh, that speech, though, was unbelievable. Ba- Bill Barr, the attorney general, standing there, waving, thumbs up, unbelievable. The, and, and more than anything, the people gathered were extraordinary. I told you last night, I tried to describe it. It's like a party, but a little more reverent. You know, there's this feeling of joy, but it's a little bit some more somber because of the what the what the uh, what the celebration, what the march for life. We're certainly celebrating life, but you're marking the terrible Roe v. Wade and the loss. So there's just this kind of edge to it that's a little more reverent and a little less raucous. But it was filled with 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 young people. I mean, young people everywhere of every color, every, you know, I saw a girl with yellow hair from uh, Catholic University. I saw boys with uh, obvious military cuts from, uh, I don't know, Valparaiso or somewhere. In, I think it was Indiana. I mean, I saw kids of every size, shape, color, Hispanic people speaking Spanish, people speaking all sorts of languages, uh, Asian people of all different backgrounds, old people, young people, kids, Down syndrome kids, everything. Down syndrome people, not just kids. Black, white, in between. Unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable to see. And just now watch, and we'll talk more about this. In a minute, I'm going to see, we're going to talk to one of the marchers who was there, a mother of eight uh, who was down there marching, uh, uh, to, and I asked her what she thought of it. But we, we'll talk later about the, the media coverage. There'll be almost none. You'll have to fight to find coverage of this extreme. Again, if they had 500 kids talking about global warming, or if they had 500 people talking about breast cancer, all you know, I'm all good things. If, you, if that's what calls you to work on, it's fine. But they'd have coverage from 12, 12 noon to 12 midnight, and because it's a march for life, you'll see a blip, maybe. Maybe. All right, let's take a break. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Pro-America, by the way, pro-life. There's no doubt about it. Pro-America. If you're pro-America, you're pro-life. You got to be. And more and more young people are. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-Life Pro-Life Report. No, the Pro-America Report. Be right back. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here, uh, Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. Well, one of the great uh, things about the March for Life, like I said, hundreds of thousands of people. I don't know. I'm never good with math. My, my, my colleagues, when I work with them, I always say, oh, there's a million people there. Who knows? But there were tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people everywhere. And after it was all over... We're talking about, by the way, the March for Life in Washington, D.C. today. After the president was there, after uh, uh, these great speakers, Melissa Oden was up on the stage. And then folks walked up to the Supreme Court and prayerfully uh, kind of processed past the Supreme Court. And then they broke up. And I had a chance to visit with a friend of mine, Allison Malone. <clears throat> Pardon me. Her husband, Josh Malone, and I are friends. And Allison is uh, also now. And she has eight children. So she's got this life thing down pretty well. And she homeschools a pack of them. Some of them, one or two of them are out of the house. And uh, I thought I'd ask her what she thought of the March for Life. So, Allison, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, I'm great. What an honor to be talking to Ed Martin. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, you say that. Um, all right, now, what'd you think? How, well, first of all, I know you guys were from Texas. Your family just moved up towards uh, the swamp, not in the swamp, but not of the swamp, but near the swamp. And so you're up here now. Have you been to the march before? I have never been before. We've always had friends go. We've watched or listened to it, but this is the first time we've actually been there. So what'd you think? What was your, let me first, before you say what you think generally, Tell me about what your impression was, because, I mean, I was teasing you, but you have eight children. You have a lot of, uh, you know, you, you and your husband are very active. You have a lot of friends, a lot of causes that you take up. So it's not, you know, you're not wallflowers. So you've been around a lot of folks. But describe the people you saw and met at the march itself. Let's see. First of all, there were so many of them. I was just overwhelmed by the numbers. I don't think I've ever been yeah. in a crowd that big. And as far yeah. as who we were around... There were a lot of young people, which was really encouraging, tons of them, tons of school kids, and they seemed to understand what was going on and really be involved, um, understanding the issues. But there were people from kind of everywhere. It was a really interesting mix. It was kind of just everybody. Uh, like you, you were mentioning earlier, there were so many different races, so many different ages, so many different places they were from. So I was really encouraged by all of that. Did you think, uh, you know, again, uh, you've got uh, a range of age for your children and other children. I know one of the one of your friends from your church, I met a, a young guy who's a Notre Dame student at the university who came in on buses. I think Notre Dame had 25 buses of, of mm-hmm. kids come in from Notre Dame. So we met all these different people. Are young people more pro-life uh, because they just grew up knowing there's something there do you think are they less pro-life because they don't want to be bothered and they're just on their phones or what what's your what's your kind of mom's view of young people that's a good question i think they're more pro-life and i think it's because they're thinking on their own i think that generation or those generations however you define them have a more of a tendency to really question and not just accept the traditions given to them and i think that can be a great trait because they're actually thinking through the issues, and it's pretty obvious. Babies are people, and they just understand that. That's not a complicated issue. So I see a lot of young people coming to that conclusion immediately and not buying whatever lies have been fed to the public for so long. Yeah, uh, we're, we're talking with Allison Malone, and, and uh, uh, who was at the March for Life today, and she uh, she no. So let me ask you: Did you march up? So after the so for those of you that can watch it on t- or see something on TV, what you would see is that in the center of the mall by the Washington Monument, there's hundreds of thousands of whatever number of thousands and thousands of people, and then after it, all the talks are over, they process up Constitution Avenue, up towards the Capitol, around the Capitol to the Supreme Court. So we walked ahead of the whole of the whole parade because we were trying or the march because we were trying to get back to where my office was. We were having inviting people there for a warm up, and in fact, that's where I saw Allison later. Uh, but Allison, did you if you walked the, did you walk the march route? Yeah, we did the whole thing. Okay, so and if you walk the march route, did you get to that point? Because I, when my wife and I had this conversation, I, I didn't ask you about this earlier, where they had the images of like the abortions, like the graphic images of the abortions or the or, or the the dead babies. Did you see that section? Yes, I did. So here's my question, because I I have this debate with um, pro life people all the time. I can't stand it myself. It makes me so mm-hmm. upset. That I, it upsets me that they're trying to make me look at it. So, if, again, to be clear with people, if you saw the movie Gosnell or if you've seen those, sometimes they're drive around billboards where you're, you actually have the image of the fetus that's, um, or body parts. And it's so 
I find it so haunting, I can't stand it. And my wife initially mm-hmm. was like, oh, yeah, I don't know if the kids want to look at that. And then, but what did you think? What do you think of those kind of things that shock people? Yeah, we've got a lot of friends who feel like kids should not be exposed to that or even, you know, younger, younger adults should never have to see something like that. But I just think the babies in the pictures are the ones we should be worried about. And I think it's really important to know what we're talking about. This isn't just some bad thing that happens. It is horrific. And I think we can get carried away being encouraged and seeing other people who agree and all being on the same team, which is the right team and a good team to be on, that we can forget the absolute seriousness of what we're talking about. And I think there's definitely a place for those pictures. I think they're important. And I'm thankful to have to see that and to be reminded of how terrible this really is. I think it's motivating for everyone. I think it's instructive. And, of course, I always go back to the Holocaust and think about the Germans there who were near the prison camps. Should they have been protected? You know, should those kids not have ever seen any prisoners? Would it have been better if they never would have paraded through afterward? No, they needed to know what was happening, however ugly it was, and I think we do too. Our Holocaust is so hidden because it's in whatever little fake operating rooms are, are occurring around the country. We're never going to be in there. Unless we work there, we're yeah. never going to see any evidence of what's happening. But those pictures bring it to us. So I'm thankful for them. Yeah, you know, and that's what my wife said. So I, she first started out saying, oh, I don't know. And then she said, and then I said, I don't want to see him. I can't stand it. It makes me mad. It makes me like angry. I yeah. want to like, yeah, I, mean, I mean, I want to go like and, and find people and beat on them that do this. And then my wife said, just you said, she said, that's, she said, it's not just a cool walk through the Capitol because mm-hmm. it's really overwhelming. It's overwhelming mm-hmm. to see all these great people and they're singing songs. I mean, I won't forget in my long life, God, if God gives me the years, the group of girls at the front of the march who sang, uh, you know, um, we love babies. Yes, we do. Over and over. You're like, how great is this? 15, 18 year old kids, mm-hmm. girls saying that it's wonderful. And yet, as you point out, and my wife said, she's like, yeah, you got to remember what the deal is here. It's not like we're just sort of having a different choice of of uh, kind of whether to have, uh, you know, bottled water or tap water. This is like life and death. And so I think you're right. What? what how did your kids who, who hadn't been to the March of Life before, uh, how did they respond? What what my as you saw, you saw my kids, some of them were my, my four kids, some of them were bored, uh, which is what their state of you know being is usually. Uh, but my oldest was really moved by it. How did your kids react to it? Uh, standing for a very long time was the difficult part, and they couldn't see anything <laughs> in the immense crowd. You know, that was hard. But the marching was pretty amazing. There's there so many things to look at, so many people, and what are they saying? And what does that sign say? That It was extremely entertaining. As far as those signs particularly, they had seen signs before. There had been um, some protesters who had actually come to our church, which is a pro-life church, but they had held those in front of our church to get us motivated to do something. And some people responded very poorly. Some people were very motivated. Some people didn't want their kids to see. We allowed our kids to see that and to, to walk outside and to talk to those protesters so that they had, you know, they had been exposed to it before and that they were aware of the horrific nature of what abortion is. So seeing it again was just another reminder for them. I think it's one that they're never going to forget, though. Seeing that in the context of however many, like you're asking the question, how many people, I don't even know how you could count that many, but we had no room to walk. Even the sidewalks on both sides of Constitution Avenue were totally packed. So seeing all that stuff and seeing those signs and being packed in with all these people who understand the issue, that's just mind-blowing. 
Yeah, it was really cool. Well, thank you, Allison. Allison Malone, thanks for your perspective on the March for Life. Like I said, she was there today. I saw her afterwards. Uh, great perspective. Uh, Allison, appreciate it very much. And we'll have you back on again. You're a natural for radio, and uh, and I will talk soon. <laughs> thank thank you. you. Let's let's take a, thank all you right, take a quick do. break and be right back. <laughs> You're welcome. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back, Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. The man who might be the most pro-America man I know, at least in Los Angeles, is Mickey Kaus. He's for years, he's been writing at thekausfiles.com, uh, which I love. He used to blog, now he uses his Twitter feed to do it. And he's got this quirky situation where in the middle of tweets that are all about politics and policy, He's the best on what's happening in the car industry. So I'm just looking at his Twitter feed, which is uh, at, let me get it right, it's at Kaus Mickey. Yeah, it's at Kaus, K-A-U-S Mickey, spelled uh, normal folks, Mickey part. And in there is uh, that the DeLoreans, uh, they're going to they're gonna make another car? The DeLorean company, is somebody got out of bankruptcy the name and they're making a car? Is this true, Mickey? Well, they're making the same car, just better, I think. It's sort of iconic oh, really? at this point. They're, they're, I think they're just updating the the existing design, and they hope to sell a few. Uh, but it's it's interesting that there's they're they're, they're prohibited because there's this law that sort of says, well, small company, car companies don't have to go through all the safety testing that big companies do. And it, it, right. it, you know it hasn't been enacted; it's being held up, and they've had to sue to get it. And you wonder, you know, is this the big boys of Detroit ganging up on on little people? And that's sort yeah. of the hallmark of. What what corporatism where you know there's an oligopoly yeah. of big boys and they all get in a room with government and they cut the pie and don't let anybody else in. Now, but let me be clear: the DeLorean car, the one that's so cool in the movie, it was not a good car, though, right? It Wasn't was a it terrible junky? car. But that's, yeah, they're, okay, they're hoping good. to make it better. That's and and you know I see. I got you. everybody's allowed I got to you. dream. They're, I, <laughs> I, got I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't bet on them, but you know it is possible that. You know, with electric cars, and if it's possible that there'll be a hundred car companies making, you know, electric cars with the same electric motor. I mean, that's not inconceivable. Uh, right. So, uh, and I hope I hope that happens. One wants an explosion of competition. Yeah, that'd be fun. It'd be fun. All right, Mickey Kaus at Kaus Mickey again, and KausFiles.com. If you go to Kaus, if you go to at Kaus Mickey on Twitter. You can get right there his pinned tweet. Sign up for his uh, newsletters. Um, but let me get a Delorean. Do you know where Delorean's last estate was? And what it is now? This is a trivial question. Do you know John DeLorean's last estate was a big horse ranch in New Jersey off of Route 78? And after it went into bankruptcy, it was bought by somebody else, then bought by somebody else, and then Trump bought it and put in the golf course that he goes to in New Jersey. And the main clubhouse is DeLorean's old house, then expanded on all around it. So that was the, there was no golf course there. It just was a bunch of rolling hills, and that's where Trump put a golf course. So go, Trump goes, when he goes to New Jersey, he goes to New Jersey, it's DeLorean's house. Isn't that great? I that's thought you'd hilarious. appreciate that. Yeah. So, Is that Bedminster? Yeah. yeah, Bedminster. That's right. Bedminster. Wow, exactly okay. right. Yep. Bed, he's always yep, there. That's yeah. the town. Sorry. Yeah, he's always there. He loves it. Supposedly he loves it. I, I, the, the joke somebody said is he really loves it more than almost anywhere. They think Mar-a-Lago, people think Mar-a-Lago, but he loves the course there or whatever. Anyway, just so funny. I grew up about 25 miles away from there. We used to know, we knew in the 80s, I was 14 or 15 when DeLorean was just, just at the end of his run. So we, we knew who he was and it was kind of a big deal. But that's how I have you on the show. It's a Pro-America report. As you know, that my, my concern is a couple of days ago, you tweeted this following. Trump should get credit for seemingly 
maybe temporarily, ending the mass illegal migration crisis of 2018-19 without Congress's help. But it's a tenuous success, depending on the Mexican government actions described. And there's a report from our friends at the Center for Immigration Studies. But Mickey, let me back up and ask you. Does he deserve what? What is the credit he deserves? This president, he, I mean, deserves, Coulter and Coulter screaming all the time. But what, what does he deserve, really, credit-wise? He, he deserves credit for there was this crisis at the border. It wasn't of his own making. Everybody's streaming in, asking for asylum, and there's so many of them that we have to let them into the country. So first, he tried metering them. He tried just denying them. He tried getting Central America to stop them. He tried. He finally got so frustrated. He did this child separation policy that, that backfired on him because people thought it was too cruel. I think it was too cruel. But he kept on going. He tried A, he tried B, he tried C. Then he tried something completely crazy. He tried intimidating the Mexican government by threatening to close the border to trade. And it worked. The Mexican government is now cooperating. They're stopping the migrants when they come into the southern end of the country. And they're accepting this Remain in Mexico program where if you apply, we say, fine, we take your application, now go wait in Mexico. Well, since the whole point of migrating is, is to get into the United States, people aren't going to come if they have to wait in Mexico. So those two things are both working for now. They're very tenuous because the Mexican president could just decide tomorrow he doesn't want to do it anymore. But, you know, people talk about energy in the executive, relentless executives who, who try, try A, try B, try C, try D to get a result. And Trump deserves credit for being that kind of executive. Uh, we're talking with Mickey Kaus again, at Kaus Mickey on Twitter, KausFiles.com on uh, on the Internet. Um, okay. So, and I'm, you know, I like the uh, the other day they floated these things. And, he, and you have to give the president, president Quinn's team credit for going after things that do make the politically correct gang crazy, like now changing the visa rules for pregnant women, right? And everyone goes, ah, you can't do anything about pregnant women. That's mean. And he's like, hey, yeah, we're going to do this. Uh, of, co- of course, on the other hand, nobody's addressed the underlying anchor baby problem. So my question for you, and you've been watching politics for 40 years, 50 years, however long you've been watching it closely, writing about it. Do you think that a second term Trump gets even better on immigration? Or, and because he doesn't care at all about that point of working with the, the, the Congress, does it get worse because... He, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, what? Because it feels like he's done everything he can. He keeps banging his head against the wall, and it's better than it was. What if Coulter's right, and it's only two point five miles? It's still two point five miles, and we had a fight over whether you could use uh, Pentagon money for the wall, and he finally won that last month. So, is a second term of Trump? Do you do you feel like it'll go? You know, further than it has. Is that what your bet is, or well, what can you tell? That, that's the key question, and my great worry, and where I would bet now, is that it's worse. Because he won't need the base anymore. He's been reelected. Uh, yeah. And if he doesn't have Congress, he's not going to get anything out of Congress. So the temptation will always be to go along with Jared when he says, do this and that, to placate the businessman he hangs out with. Uh, and yep. so there's, it, 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 there's not going to be a lot driving him to please the base. This is why I sort of hope to keep impeaching him, because every time he's impeached, he needs the base. If the base weren't there, he would be out of office. <laughs> so... I'm, yeah. for, I'm for permanent impeachment, just constantly keep him in peril, and that's the only thing that keeps him loyal to the base. And I, you sort of worry that all these rumors about how he thinks Jared and Ivanka are potential future candidates are true. I mean, everything crude about Trump so far has been true. So uh, why not that? And they are not, you know, base-pleasing conservatives. They're basically moderate Republican liberals. 
Yeah. Uh, but Mickey, how about this way? How, what about this? What about the odds of this path? Um, let's, let's say he remembers to be pissed at all these people that have messed with him, you know, and the, the moderates and all, right. and he decides to come through and, 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 and let's, let's, let's imagine that he actually believes what he says on this, on some of the, you know, what, what's happening to America and all and, and American jobs. And now let's imagine he gets a Republican house. So he gets a Republican House where Kevin McCarthy will follow him just because he wants to be speaker, right? And, and do you think there's any chance that they go like all the way? I mean, my problem is there'll always be the temptation for an, a big deal, right? Let's do a big deal. It's the trick the Senate does. Right, Let's sure. do a big deal. And then all sorts of junk is in it, which is so, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm trying to talk myself into something better than right. your, your well, idea. I think if they if they win the House, it's possible. You know, there's a process going on in the Republican Party, as you know better than I do, yeah. where the, the squishes and the softies on on immigration are being pushed out. They're you know right. they're leaving, they're retiring, and I hope they're being replaced by hardliners. And if that process has gone far enough, then a majority in the House, you know, with with the inveterate in squishes in the Senate, should be enough right. to get something good passed. I agree with you. If they win the House. There's a possibility, but things you know, Philip Carlson and Laura Ingram getting on his case on Fox News, and he's obsessed with Fox News. So yeah. that's a oh, there's a window. That's a yeah. There's a window. That's all I'm saying. All right. Well, thank you, Mickey Kaus. Thanks for coming on out at Kaus Mickey on Twitter to follow all the Delorean updates and the updates yeah. on immigration and everything else. Uh, appreciate it very much. I was I'm glad to supply at least a a, a tidbit of Delorean uh, trivia for Mickey Kaus. That it makes me feel really good. So no, uh, you, thanks for the time, Mickey. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be right back. The Pro America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here and the Pro America Report. I tell you, there's very few people that I would say you should follow on Twitter every day. Go check them out. And one of them is at Mickey Kaus, at Kaus Mickey. I didn't set him up well because I was too excited to talk to him. He he he's he's I've had him on the show. I've had him on my show a lot. I've talked to him a lot. He's a Democrat, old fashioned Democrat. Used to uh, he ran for office as a Democrat. I think he went to Harvard Law School. It's Mickey Kaus, K A U S K A U S. Do a search for him and you'll see lots of writing. He wrote a book on inequality uh, in our uh, society about twenty years ago. Really interesting book. Started. He wrote the book after writing an, an influential essay and then expanded into a book. And um, he's been very critical of the of the unions, how out of uh, control the unions have had have be- become. Uh, this is 10, 15 years ago, especially when it came to immigration, because they were uh, with the Democrats and the Democrats were allowing all illegal immigration. He's just a fascinating guy and a fascinating writer and really great to follow. And one of those people that makes you think so uh, follow Mickey Kaus, Kaus at Kaus Mickey. And by the way, I was talking to Noah, our technical, my technical director here on the program, the Pro America Report, and he and I were discussing. We'll start taking phone calls. You know, we start, the show was pre-recorded a lot in the last couple of years because of our schedules. He and I both, but since we moved up to the seven p.m. Pacific time slot, we're going to start doing calls. So we'll look forward to that next week. We'll hopefully get uh, banter going and uh, visit with you and hear from you. Uh, should be fun. So uh, now let me cover a couple things. One update. One of the listeners, and you can by the way go to edmartinlive.com edmartinlive.com sign up there for my email i get an email blast every morning at 5 a.m pacific time it's called it's what you need to know it's what you need to know i'll run you through what you need to know 
And uh, really good email. I think you'll enjoy it. So go there and sign up. And uh, you can also get in touch with me through Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin is Twitter. Uh, you can email me directly, ed at edmartinlive.com, ed at edmartinlive.com. You can even text me, 314-256-1776. It's a texting line set up, kicks right to my phone, 314-256-1776. And one of the listeners, uh, Leon, 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 Cleon, sorry, Cleon, sent me a text uh, email after last night's show and said, I think you're getting your numbers wrong on the quarantine. I was talking about China. And so I said, well, I better check on that because I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be too wrong. I don't mind being wrong a little bit, but I, want to, I don't want to be too far wrong. And so, you know, this uh, China has this problem of uh, a virus that's broken out and uh, it's, it's now killed. I think it's up to, you know, 60 uh, have died from it. Um, so we're, you know, we're talking about serious, uh, well, let me see. Yeah. Um, two days ago, the death toll was at 24, but that's two days ago. Um, I guess the death toll is just under 40 is what they're admitting, but the Chinese are not going to tell you the truth. There's no way about that. I mean, there's not, there's no chance they're telling us the truth about what uh, the real number is. So, uh, we'll see. I mean, uh, if it's 26, that's, oh, the death toll is there. It is 41. Um, they're saying it's 41. If they're saying it's 41 dead, it's a lot more. Okay, but back to my point. Um, how many people are quarantined? Well, now we know, based on the description of the landmass that has been quarantined, they're not even saying it by city limits, that it's 40 million people have been quarantined because there's that big a health concern in China, and uh, 40 million. I, and I, I was reading a, a coverage of this, and I saw a quote, and they said, not in the history of public health, Obviously, have they ever had to or tried to quarantine quarantine forty million people? It's all you know. It's it's kind of this is a small country, right? I mean, forty million people uh, is not even a small country. It's a medium sized country in parts of Europe, and also uh, it's unbelievable what's happening there. Now, I was reminded of a story which I wanted to share with you. There is a very very fine book uh, that is by John Barry B A R R Y. I read it years ago now, and John Barry has written a, a bunch of books. Um, some of them are, um, some of them are, uh, uh, the, the one I'm thinking of is called the great influenza. They're all kind of historical narratives. He writes histories, but he's a, just a great writer. Another one is called rising tide. The, the great Mississippi flood of 1927. It's kind of funny. His, he liked writing, his, his liked writing about the periods, uh, in the early 20th, uh, century. This, the, the great influenza was of course in 1919 and then John Barry wrote other books. So back to the great influenza. And what I was uh, thinking about a pub public health as the great influence of 1990 sw swept across the world and America, it was killing people. You would just get it and you'd die. Maybe a couple days later, you'd die. And they couldn't stop it. They couldn't figure out what. In fact, a lot of times the th thing that was haunting with the great influenza is it was taking uh, very uh, healthy people, strong people. It, it wasn't an influenza that was... Um, that was taking out only the old people, right? Or the weakened people, the sick, like sometimes they do, you know, you say if someone's got elderly or is, has a compromised uh, immune system because of illness or cancer treatment or something, those people are prone to, because their immune system is, is depressed to get influenza. This, the great influenza of 1919 was taking out healthy people, just like, bam, they would get it and they'd be, they'd be dead in 36 hours. So in St. Louis, Missouri, where as many of you know, I lived for a quarter of a century, and consider it my home uh, generally, and my my children were all born there. And uh, and in St. Louis, in this book, The Great Influenza, they talk about a public health director in St. Louis 
who was an autocrat. He was like a dictator of public health. He was actually supposed to be an unpleasant fella. And when he saw the influenza breaking out across the world and America, he canceled all the public meetings in St. Louis. So the municipal theater that met in the summer with hundreds of people outdoors canceled. The, uh, the concerts canceled, sporting events canceled, uh, public assemblies canceled, private assemblies canceled. You, anything you were going to do with more than your family, he canceled them. And he had enough power to do it. And when they show the numbers of people who died from the influenza across the country, and now remember in 1919, St. Louis is the third or fourth or fifth largest city in America, population wise, as well as commerce and everything else, uh, might have been a little lower. That might have been six, but it's, it's high. It was one of the biggest. The people in St. Louis, very few by percentage, uh, by comparison, died. And it was very effective. Point being that in this book, The Great Influenza, there are things that the public health people know work. I mean, there are things that they know work. One of them is quarantine. The question is whether the Chinese can quarantine 40 million. I mean, 40 million people. It's an unbelievable uh, thing. I mean, you're you're talking about uh, logistically, how do you, what are you going to do there? I mean, you can have breakouts within the 40 million i mean think about 40 million people a quarantine in china i think hungary has 10 million people i think uh poland has 30 something million people where this is as big as a country that they're quarantining so uh pretty extraordinary we'll be watching that and watching it closely and uh i mentioned uh last night also on the program a follow-up someone texted me about and we just hit it with mickey cows this question of why why do the chinese Literally, so we'll set this up. I'll set it up as a, as a, a syllogism. The Chinese government controls all of the economy in China. Therefore, you don't get rich or successful in China without being favored by the Chinese government. You see, that's how that works. There's just no chance you're going to be wealthy, powerful, go to good education, go to good schools if you're not in favor with the communists who control the economy and all the success you can have. So those two things are true. No one just no one denies those. And so how is it that we have wealthy people, relatively wealthy, meaning they have the money to do it, uh, that come to the USA on this so-called birth tur- tourism, where thousands of people come to America and they stay in hotels in America while they're pregnant to have babies because they can then claim their their kids are are their their, their children are citizens of America that's being done with the knowledge of the Chinese government because you can't have wealth you can't have privilege you can't have travel you don't get to just travel if you happen to be interesting and want to go to America it's all coordinated by the command control of the communist Chinese government so what's the point it's like i said today to someone We used to do elections. I used to run the board of elections in the city of St. Louis and the people would come in and they do election fraud. They'd register people to vote that were fraudulent. They weren't real. You don't do that for fun. There's no benefit for that. That's like a fun thing. You do it to commit election fraud. There there could be no other reason. It's not like it's, it's not like it's beneficial. You don't get any extra money. You don't get any extra benefit. The Chinese government is clearly sanctioning birth tourism where they send people here to have babies. And we let it happen. And we let it happen. It's a crazy thing to have happen in our country and to think it's acceptable. And yet we do it. And, and sooner or later, we're going to wake up and say, what is China trying to do to us? What does it mean? 
That's what's at stake. All right. I'm sorry. I got a little China rant there. Uh, thank you, by the way, to uh, Cleon is his name for sending me that text and uh, for all of you for paying attention. Then go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com. Listen to the program there streaming. You can also get the show as a podcast wherever you get podcasts, iTunes, uh, Google Play, wherever it is. And uh, pass them on to your friends. Pass them on to your friends. Uh, by the, go back to, I remind you, edmartinlive.com. Sign up there and get the show. Get you my daily email and uh, get updates on the show. And you, edmartinlive.com, you'll see all the shows archived there so you can listen to, go back and uh, follow them. Uh, thank you for all of the guests we had today. Thank you to Noah, our technical director, for a great job putting the show together. Joanna producing out of St. Louis. We'll be back Monday. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego.